going to a far country who left his house and gave authority to his servants and to each one his work and commanded the doorkeeper to watch. Watch therefore, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming, in the evening, at midnight, at the crowing of the rooster, or in the morning, lest coming suddenly he find you sleeping. And what I say to you, I say to all, watch. I want to talk to you using the title today, He's Coming Again, so tell somebody. He's coming again, so tell somebody. Because ultimately, we walk, we're living in a day and time in which we are, have lost sight of the reality that Jesus said he's going to come again. And as we live, we are living life as though um, it will always be this way and that there's nothing left yet to happen or there's nothing left yet to come. One of the most popular uh, heresies in the world today is that that hell is not real and that ultimately hell is a state of mind or a state of existence that you that you that, that many people are already living in their own hell the hell of their mind the hell of their condition but I need to then stop and say listen brother my sister that there is truly a hell because ultimately why in the world would Jesus then suffer such a horrible death to keep us from something that doesn't exist. Why would he suffer such a horrible, torturous death in order to keep us from something that doesn't exist or something that is simply a state of the mind? Because here's the thing, the mind can be changed. Therefore, the state of the mind can be changed. So ultimately, it is important for us, those who have the promise, Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place, I will come again, and the come again is what we're talking about today. Because ultimately, he says, if I'm going to prepare this place, I will come again to receive you, that there I am, there you may be, where I am, there you may be also. And why would we not be completely engrossed with the idea of what he says next. He says, in my father's house are many mansions. Wait a minute. I, if for no other reason, I just want to see how that can be. Because I, I've lived in several houses in my lifetime, but they were none of which were mansions. They were all houses, for sure. And some on the verge of shanty but never mansion. But Jesus says, in my father's house, he said the father's, what the father has ain't even a mansion, it's just a house. And it's got many mansions in it. But he says, I'm going away and I'm going to prepare a place and I will come again to receive you. There I am, there you may be also. So Jesus is telling this parable and understand he, he, he this is this is the same we were sharing with you last week from Matthew's version of what Jesus taught. Uh, Mark's version is found in chapter 13. Matthew's version is found in chapter 4, 24 and 25. And it's called the Olivet Discord. And ultimately what happens is I showed you, I told you this last week that Jesus and the disciples are walking past the temple. And as they walk past the temples, Mark, Mark records that they actually said, look at all the, these beautiful buildings. Because there were multiple buildings that, that made up the temple, but there was a primary worship area in the temple and then the place of the holies of holies. And they look over and they said, Jesus, master, look at this. Look how beautiful it is. And Jesus responds and says, listen, now one stone will be left on another. And then they responded later they, when, when he gets to the mountainside and he sits down next to on, on, the, on the Mount of Olives. They come and say, Jesus, when is that going to happen? When, when is it going to be that, that temp, the temple will be torn down? And what will be the sign of your return? And what will be the sign of the end of the age? And Jesus is responding in this 13th chapter of Mark. Matthew records it in the 24th chapter and the 25th chapter. And then Luke records it in the 19th chapter. 
and is sharing with them, I'm sorry, the 21st chapter of Luke. And, and in that he's sharing and helping them to understand the reality of what's going to take place leading up to his return and the end of the age. We understand, because I shared this with you last week, we understand that the first question that they asked was, when is the temple going to be destroyed? And we know that by historic fact that in A.D. 70, that temple was destroyed and completely demolished. But also Jerusalem was burned at that time. We now understand then that if that has been fulfilled, then what's left are the last two questions to answer. What will be the sign of your return and what will be the end of the age? And Jesus says, of that day, of that hour, no man knows the day nor the hour. But he says, but I tell you to take heed and to watch. But then he goes on and he tells a parable because he, he tells a series of parables. And the one that Matthew pulls out is the one here. He says, it's like a man who goes on a far trip and he leaves his house in the care of his servants. And he says, and that master left the house in the care of his servants and he left, gave each one of them some work to do. It's like a man going to a far country who left his house and gave authority to his servants and to each his work and commanded the doorkeeper to watch. I, I believe God is calling me or has using, is using me to be the doorkeeper, to keep watching, to keep telling you, hey, keep looking. But notice here, he says, he gave each one work to do. And I would imagine that if you begin to think about what he might mean, you might start thinking about church work and things of that nature and serving as an own usher or singing in the choir or, or, or being a part of the deacon board or, or being one. And yes, those are expressions of your service to God. But here is the greatest part of what God desires for each and every one of us. He desires for each and every one of us to be his witnesses to tell somebody the good news of his love, the good news of his saving grace, and the reality that he's coming again. And when he does, he's going to take those who belong to him back to heaven and those who have not put their confidence in him will be judged. Five things that we understand that God has given to the church as its purpose. Five things that Jesus Christ has ordained. He says, upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We understand the evangelism and discipleship because he says, go ye therefore into all the nations and make disciples. So we understand that the, at, at the core of everything we do at church, everything we do as a body of Christ, at the core of that should be five things. And, and let me say this, because a lot of times we do things that have nothing to do with these. Because if you could help me to understand how selling fish dinners meets one of these five, I would love to hear it. But we'll sell them and fuss each other out and, and leave the church and get mad because somebody, uh, they, they put my, my, my uh, spaghetti on the back burner and then gave all theirs out and didn't give mine out. My, I got a whole pan of chicken here and all these people was out there hungry and they didn't pass out my chicken. How does that fulfill go ye therefore make disciples? That go, go you make, therefore make folks mad. That's what that is. Amen? So we have to understand, Jesus has given us five things that he's ordained, and at the heart of that, first of all, worship. Worship, let me start there. I'm going to go back to evangelism and discipleship because uh, I want to focus on that just next. But worship, he says, you shall love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy mind, with all thy soul, with all thy spirit. That's worship. Ministry is, he says, and love your neighbor as yourself. Ministry is when you're doing something for others that you might build their faith, encourage their faith, encourage their hope, build love in them, and to demonstrate love to them. Ministry, that is, love your neighbor as yourself. Fellowship is baptism. He says, 
Go ye therefore and make disciples, baptizing them. When a person is baptized, they are identifying themselves with the body of Christ. They're demonstrating or proclaiming their fellowship or their kinship or relationship with the body of Christ and therefore fellowship. But let's look at evangelism. Go ye therefore. Go ye therefore. The go ye therefore is the evangelizing. Go tell somebody about this good news. Discipleship and make disciples, teaching them to observe the things that I taught you. Disciples are not born, they are made. People come, they give their heart to Jesus, but then they're taught and trained. What does it look like to be a believer? What does it look like to follow Jesus? How do you live out your faith as a born-again believer in Christ? That is discipleship. Here's the problem. 64% of Americans are not born again. That amounts to 200,960,000 people in these United States who are not born again. Sixty-four percent of Americans are not born again. And yet it is evident that Jesus is coming and yet, just in America, 64% are not born again. So when we understand that, then it really compels us to recognize this. Go ye therefore and make disciples because there's a lot of discipling that needs to be made. There's a lot of witnesses that need to be done. There's a lot of people who need to know the good news of who Jesus is. And to truly know who he came to be for them. So look at this. Four things we want to point out. He says, go ye. Go is, the, is, is evangelizing. Make disciples. That is discipling and helping to train and teach and show and demonstrate. He says, and then teaching them to observe all the things that I've commanded you, that, that, that you understand what it is to follow Jesus and you help the new believer or the person who was without, the unchurched, know who and what. The thing used to be that most people or many people in America were just unchurched, they were unsaved, uh, but they had some church because people went to church and grandmama took them to church and if daddy didn't go, he would drop them off at Sunday school and they had some context of church. The truth of the matter is people are now unchurched and unsaved, they have no context. So when they, uh, when you, if you've been churched and you're unsaved, when things get rough, you know that you need to turn. When you're, un, when you're churched and you're unsaved, you know, you know there's a gauge that you are, I'm getting too far away. I've gone too far. Things are getting too bad. When you don't have that as a context, you don't have any recourse, so you don't look to God in times of trouble. You don't even know that you need him. So if 64% are un saved, we have to be mindful of, go ye therefore and tell somebody. Pastor, I tried and people don't want to hear. You're not called to save them, you're called to tell them. The problem is you're just not telling. It doesn't matter that they, they, they accept it or not. You still have to tell it because you're called to tell, not to save. Simply tell. Amen? So you got to tell somebody. You know Jesus? Oh, yeah, I do. I believe that he uh, was a good man. No, do you know Jesus? I'm not asking do you know of him. I'm asking do you know him? See, I know of Michael Jordan, but I don't know him. I've heard somebody talk about it. I've heard somebody praise him, heard somebody even worship him. He had the jersey, had the shoes, had the headband, had the wristbands, had the socks, had the underwear, had the T-shirt, had it all. But I don't know him. Because knowing him implies relationship. See, because here's how this works. 
if I knew him, then he would know me. And if my name ever came up, he would recognize it. I would wager that if you go find him today, if you run into him and say, do you know George Martin Jr., Indianapolis, Indiana? I'm absolutely sure he'd say, absolutely not. Because we don't know each other. I know of him, but he don't know me. And here's what Jesus says. He says, many will come to me in that day, the day that I come back to claim all the souls. He says, many will come running to me and saying, Lord, Lord, he says, and I will declare, I don't know you. You know about me, but we don't know each other. Because if we knew each other, I would know you and you would know me. But you know more, you know of me, but I don't know you. And so today, today, today we have to be mindful that it is evident to us that we are living in the last days. And, I, and, and as I say that, I know you say, well, pastor, I've been hearing that message all my life. My grandmama, and if not grandmama, I heard the old preacher say it. I done heard people talking about the last days. I've even heard the testifiers say, uh, pray for me and I pray for you as I strive to be what the Lord would have me to do in these last and evil days. Amen? Well, let me say this. It was true when they said it then, and it's true when they say it now. But here's how time works. The more time that lapses, the closer you are to it. So today, I would invite you to turn real quick just so that you can begin to get your antennas up because he says, watch. I want you to know what to watch for when you begin. If you're not convinced of what I'm saying today that we're in the last days, I want you to have some evidence that you can begin looking around and you do your own survey. Turn, if you would, to 2 Timothy chapter 3. See, it's not for me to convince you. It's for me to compel you. The Holy Spirit does the conviction, does the convicting and the convincing in your heart. But it's for me to let you know so that you know that you cannot say that you didn't know. Because here's the reality. When we stand before Jesus, he's going to then open up the books. First and foremost, he's going to open up the books. The books are those that are given account of all that has been said and done in this life. Those are the books. After having taken a glance at that, what he's also then going to do is look over in one other book. And that is a personal book that he has off to the side. That book is the book of the Lamb's book of life, looking for the names written with his blood. Now watch this. The way it works is that if your name is in, is in the book, then it then covers everything that's in the books. Because all those who have the blood applied to them, the blood then goes and washes all the pages of the books clean. So the key is I got to make sure that I know him because it's not knowing of him because understand this, it has been proven by sociologists that many of that, that there are people their personality type that they are more inclined to be religious. They just, if they're inclined to believe something. They're inclined to believe a, believe a religion or a system of belief. And at its definition, religion, by, by its most simplistic definition, is simply this. A set of beliefs and practices that follow those beliefs. Some people believe they're supposed to go to church. I don't have to be saved, I just need to go to church. It's a good thing to go to church. I believe you're supposed to try to treat everybody right. Treat everybody right. He didn't say treat everybody right. He says love them like you love yourself. Because sometimes right is in the eye of the beholder. I try to treat everybody right, but hey, listen. If I can get over on you, I'm going to get over on you because hey, I got to get mine for me. So we must understand that 
You don't, God has not called us to be more religious. He's asking for us to be more relational. Because here's what happens. In religion, as long as nobody knows you did it, it's all right. Okay, wait a second. As long as the people who know you in the religious setting don't know, then it's good. But in relationship, it doesn't matter where you are. Bermuda, Afghanistan, Australia, you can be hundreds and thousands of miles away from where everybody knows you. But you still recognize that there's one still watching. See, in religion, as long as I can cover it, I can keep it. As long as I can hide it, I can hold on to it. But in relationship, I'm striving from the heart to not just cover it, I'm trying to clean it. Not just try to keep it, I'm trying to kill it. Because he says, if you're going to come after me, you must deny yourself daily and take up your cross. The cross is not a symbol of the necklace. It is a representation of death. So when he says, take up your cross every day, he said, you got to die to you every day. Stop being like you and be like more, more like me every day. Because in religion, people will cuss you out on the parking lot. Matter of fact, the, the, the boldness and the stiffness that we see today, they don't even wait to the parking lot. They get you out there in the lobby. We had a sister here that treacherously, treacherously called Lady Toya in a B-I-T-C-H standing right out there. Didn't even wait to get outside. And didn't mind chopping these owls up. Didn't mind it. But to do that right out there. So we have to understand religion will get you to hell. Because here's how I see this, and I hope it blesses you. You don't take your car to the shop unless it's broken. Am I right? So watch this. If you don't think it's broken, you ain't gonna try to fix it. If you got enough religion that you don't think anything's wrong, you ain't looking to get right. Religion will get you to hell when relationship will save your soul. All right, let me get you in this word real quick. Uh, this is the only way I know how to tell it, folks. I can only give it the way I, I'm, I'm giving it and the way God molded me and shaped me. He, he shaped me to do what I do. Amen? I love it. Bishop Jake said this. He says, listen, Oprah had him on, on, on uh, did a whole special, a whole hour. Came to his church in his house, interviewed his children, his wife, really set him up. And it became evident that the whole time was all designed around one question. Because, you know, Bishop Jake has, has a, a worldwide reach and people know his name no matter where you go. And so she was, the whole thing was designed to get to this one last question. Here's what that question was. She says, now Christians say that there is only one way to God. Because, you know, she's proclaimed that there are many ways to get to God. So she's whole, the whole question, this is, she said, my last question is, Christians proclaim that there's only one way to God. What do you say? Now, remember, he's reaching millions of people. and He's on, on national television. And here's what Bishop Jake said. He says, listen, he says, um, I am the messenger, not the message. He said, the mailman don't change the message. He just delivers it like he's been given it. I jumped up. I said, that's what I'm talking about. Because he said, the mailman simply puts the mail in the box. You open it and deal with it. He don't open it and try to retype it. He don't tell him to change it. He gives it to you just like he was giving it. He said, and I'm that messenger. And my message is there's only one way. And I can't change that. I said, my God, my God, bless your heart, sir. 
because that's what it comes down to. So we have to be mindful of that. Not, don't you change the message. Don't let somebody change it in you. God is still God. He still says, without holiness, no man will see me. You, gotta still, you can't change that. You can't, you can't fix it up. Amen? First, 2 Timothy chapter 1. Chapter 3, verse 1, sorry. You there? Look at verse 1. But know this. He said, just know this now. Don't, don't, don't forget. Don't forget. Don't get lost in the shuffle. He says, know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. Is there anyone here that would suggest to me today that by witness, and if you do believe this, stand up and just wave your hand, that we are not living in perilous times? Let me explain to you what perilous is. It's not a word that you may not be familiar with. Perilous means difficult, challenging, Difficult, challenging, struggling, bad, violent, suffering times. Okay, so he says, in the last days, perilous times will come. He says, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money. So I'm giving you this so that you know what to look for as you look around to gauge whether or not we are in the last days and whether or not I'm right when I'm telling you he's coming again. He says, in the last days, men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers. Blasphemy means to speak against the, the Holy Spirit or to deny or to speak against God disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderous. Slanderous is talking about people or putting, sp spreading rumors or declaring things about people that are not, are not true. And even if some of it is true, that the intent is to degrade or to diminish their, the vision or view of them by others slanders without self-control without the ability to control it seems like self-control is so rampant that people just go off and do things that are that are seem to be without any control brutal despisers of good that when you're doing good that people get mad at you that they despise that they get mad and, 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 and oh look at her look like she thinks she's better than me never said that. I'm just striving to be all I can for Jesus. Traitors. Traitors. Those that, that you thought you could trust. Go behind your back. Stab you in the back. Traitors. Headstrong. You can't tell them nothing. Just you talk to your blue in the face. Oh, mama. There you go again. Daddy, please, I'm grown. Haughty. Haughty means to walk around built up. Everybody against me, the whole world, they don't like me, but I know I'm it. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, that anything absolutely anything in your life will take precedence over your service, your worship, your commitment to God. Anything. It doesn't have to be anything. If it's something you enjoy, it's, it's, it's more important than my expressions of love to God. Here's, let's look at this one carefully. It says, having a form of godliness, everybody's pumping up. Everybody is having a form of godliness. You don't know. I got, I got, I got to relate. I got something. Me and the man upstairs, we got, we got something. Form of godliness. But look what it says. But denying its power. See, when God is in you, it changes you. You can't stay the same and stay with him. So having a form of godliness is that it's become self-righteousness and, and us uh, and those who would put on the show. But deny the power, because here's what God says. Therefore, if any man, if any man is truly in Christ, he is a new creation. 
old things are what? I can't still be the same me 10 years after I came to Jesus. Matter of fact, I can't even be the same me one week after I came to Jesus. Because from the time that I come to him, I want to change. I want to be different because I don't want to stay like this. Because if Jesus loved me like this, I can't help but try to show him I love him. But from such people's turn away. See, that, that means that, that, that sometimes you have to get rid of some friends and some relationships because they don't fit in your life when Jesus fills your life. We had a suitcase. We were getting ready to travel. And we were, I, I don't know why I was doing this, but I just packed it up. I mean, I had all. I think I had two pairs of something for every day. Here's what I did. I had a pair of long pants and a pair of short pants for every day. We'll be going for seven days. Now, where we were going, every day it was going to be at least 85. <laughs> I didn't need no long pants. And then I got a revelation. I realized that Everything I had packed couldn't go on the journey with me. And after I had anguished with trying to keep it all and trying to stuff it and make it fit, I realized I just got to take some stuff out. And all I'm trying to get you to do, you've been trying to figure out why is it that I can't do a better job in my relationship with Jesus? Because you got some stuff you've packed for the journey that cannot go on the journey. So you have to take some stuff out so that you make room for God to keep filling it up. Because after I took all those extra long pans out, I realized I still have some stuff I need to put in. So it's from those you have to turn away. You got to say, okay, I can't, I can't, I can't keep everything and everybody because it's not conducive to who I am. Let me help you with this because what's happened is the enemy's tried to blur the line of what's right and what's wrong and who has the privilege of going with the Father. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6 real quick. I'm almost done. Amen. Amen. Don't get sad. Get glad. Because, see, everything I'm telling you points to Jesus coming back. And when he comes back, the Bible says the, 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 that the angels will come. The sound of a trumpet. He's coming with the angels. And the dead in Christ will rise first. And those of us who remain shall be caught up to meet him in the air. So him coming back is not a bad thing. It's a See, the only idea of us, of us being so earthly-minded that we are not looking forward to leaving the earth is because we've got too content here. But there was an old song that says, This world is not my home. I'm just passing by. Because you got to keep in mind that you are only passing through this way. And here's the thing. And you will not pass this way again. So we must be mindful that we're going to see the king. Amen? And we want to see him in peace. Second Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, you there? Let's look at verse number 9, 311. Look what it says. Do you not know that unrighteousness will not inherit the kingdom of heaven? Paul says, don't you know that? Don't you know that unrighteousness will not inherit the kingdom of heaven? Do you not know that unrighteousness will not inherit the kingdom of heaven? Do not be deceived. Jesus said to the disciples before he started telling them about the end times, he says, take heed that no one deceives you. Here's what you need to understand. The enemy's greatest weapon is not alcohol, drugs, women, men, it's not stuff, it's not, it's not idolatry. His greatest weapon against mankind is deception. He is working to deceive men. And in Revelation, Jesus declares that all the world 
has been deceived. So he says, don't be deceived, neither fornication. Fornication is any sex outside of marriage. Nor idolaters, those who idolize things and lift things up and put them in a space that only should be reserved for God. Adulterers, though anybody who is married who has sex outside of that marriage. Nor homosexuals. I think we've heard enough about that to know what that means. Nor sodomites, because I'm not that, I'm this. Nor thieves. Nor covetous, those who, who are always jealous and wanting what other people have and mad at other people because they have what they don't have and they're trying to get it and, and, and trying to do the best they can to lie to steal to get it. Drunkards? Oh. You mean to tell me social drinking, Pastor? Because um, I, you know, I don't get drunk. I just, I just get a buzz. You know, I just, I just take the edge off. Let's work with this thing for a minute. Who among us has a light that goes off that says, I'm drunk? You don't know until you get there when you start saying, liquor. <laughs> I, can, I can hold my liquor. You know, liquor, you there. You, and you didn't know it until you got there. So if he's saying drunkenness will not inherit the kingdom, why would you play with your soul? Don't give me a social or a, 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 a unsocial or public or a private drink. Just don't give me none. Don't, don't, even, don't even offer it to me. If he says it, it will not inherit the kingdom, he says no unrighteousness will. And I'm trying to go to heaven. I ain't trying to. Yeah, you can have yourself a good old time. But it ain't going to be nothing like the time you will have when you see Jesus nor revilers, those are, those are, those are people that are just, just, just always got something going on, on the edge, always. Nor extortion, but, but revilers are also cussers too. That word reviler also includes the, the violent speaking and, 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 and un, unrighteous speaking. Nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of heaven. But look what he says, he says, and such were some of you. He says, he said, I know that we used to be. So notice Paul is making the assumption that you used to be this stuff. Not that you're still doing it. That you, he says, and such were, were, were meaning past tense. Things I used to do, I don't do no more. The places I used to go, I don't go. We get excited too. Things I do, and look, and, and, and just came from the place that you used to go because you still went. Then almost beat your hip, hip, hip raw. <laughs> and we just there yesterday. Matter of fact, I almost missed church because you just came from there this morning. If I had some glasses, I would be looking over them, yeah. <laughs> See, the thing about it, people of God, he says, as such, these things, you were once these things, but you were washed, but you were sanctified. Sanctified means to be set apart for a holy purpose, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus. Justified means being brought into right standing and just position in him. He says, you were these things. You can't come out and be these things. Amen? He says, just know all that won't inherit the kingdom of heaven. The reason I needed to stress that is because in many cases, the devil has convinced us as it pertains to our sons, our daughters, our friends, our neighbors, our children, our parents, to just live, let people live and let live. Well, you know, they, they, they know about the church, so I'm going to leave them alone. No, 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 no. You still need to keep compelling them. Be reconciled to God. 
See, the idea of live and let live means I don't bother nobody. I let people live their life. Well, the truth of the matter is, if you could have told them and didn't tell them, do you not understand that they will know that in hell? Here's what the Bible shows us. Jesus teaches us. He shows us that, that you'll be conscious. And I believe that, the, that, that what's going to cause, the because we understand this, that this flesh that we're living in, it burns at, at, 100, at 1,800 degrees completely. It just start to burn up. I'm sorry, at 700 degrees. Now, with that said, if that's the case, the Bible says hell and death will be thrown in a lake of fire which burned it with fire and brimstone. In order to survive eternity in the lake, you will have to have a different body. It will, it will be a body that can withstand the heat. The torture and the torment of hell will not be the heat. The torture and torment of hell will be that you, did, you realize you didn't have to be there. Because here's what the Bible says. Jesus says there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Let me help you with this. You gnash your teeth when you get upset with yourself for doing something. You say, I knew better. The gnashing of teeth will be you being there and knowing I didn't have to be here. Because I've heard people say, oh, uh, if it's hell is hot, I'm okay because I, I can deal with the heat. It won't be the heat that's going to be the problem. You will have a body that can sustain in the heat. It will be your consciousness of the fact because the body goes away, but the soul is what lives. That is your mind, your will, your emotion. The part of you that is alive is your soul. That soul will be moved into a new body that can withstand the heat and that will can stand it for eternity. And you will always have this knowledge. Didn't have to be here. That's what you're helping people when you keep, when you don't subscribe to live and let live and you keep compelling them. What profit is it for a man to gain his whole world and lose his soul? When you compel them, be reconciled to God. Love God with all your heart. Surrender your whole life to him. That's what you're saving them from. Because here's the thing. Turn to Acts chapter 1. I'm done. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. I'm going to show you this and then I'm going to conclude. I'm going to conclude. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. He says, look, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be what? To me in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. He says, you will be my witnesses. You will be, when the Holy Ghost is on you, you can't, and the Holy Ghost can't come up on you if you don't have him. Man? Amen? Because here's what Paul says. Paul says, he that hath not the spirit of Christ is not his. That's Romans chapter 8, verse 9. He that hath not the spirit of Christ is not his. You can't have him on you if you ain't got him in you. All right? Now, which is, with that said, if he's in you and on you, then you will be witnesses. You'll tell somebody about me. Now, now let's go back to what, we, what Jesus said about the story. Remember he told the story, he said, as a man goes to a far land, look what he says. He says, but don't you, the, but you should receive power. The, another, another word for that word power is authority. So let's read it again. But you shall receive authority when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You will receive power, you receive authority when the Holy Spirit is on you. Now let's go back to what Jesus said. Look what he said. It is like a man going to a far country who left his house and gave what? Authority, authority to who? His servants. Jesus says, when the Holy Ghost come upon you, you shall receive 
power or authority to go forth and be my witnesses. Look here. He's coming. So tell somebody. Because God has given us the authority to be a witness. He's given us the power to witness. The lie that the enemy has told you is that you cannot witness to people. And let me say this. If God just told you that you can do it, and you hear a little voice telling you that you can't do it, whose voice you think it is? If God told you you can do it, and you hear the little voice telling you that you can't do it, whose voice is it? Because the enemy wants to make God out of a... Let me help you with this and I won't let you go. Uh, the story of Job, the story of Job, we all have read that story. If you're not, then let me share with you. A man suffers great, great distress. But here's how the story opens. The, op the story unfolds with, with it saying that Satan was walking to and fro in the earth. And then as God was assembling with all of his, uh, his sons, then Satan's standing out there and he says, well, what have you been up to? He says, well, I've been going to and fro looking. And then he says, God says to Satan, he says, have you considered my servant Job? He says, yeah, he's, he says, God says, he, he's a perfect and upright man. Satan says, yeah, but see, he, 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 he loves you like that because of all the stuff you gave him. So God says, say, he says, listen, take all the stuff from him, just don't touch his body. I promise you, he's going to stay the same way. He takes all Job's money, takes his family, takes all his goods. Job doesn't curse him. He comes back and says, well, I know what it is. You're keeping him in good health. He says, touch his body, but don't take his life. He, 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 he gives Job sores and, and, and what, what, what appears to be something like leprosy. Job has all the sores, his body's healed. And here's what happens, people of God. Remember how the story unfolds. Satan is working to get Job to curse God. Here's what happens. About after all of this happens and all the grief hits his wife, his wife steps up and said, Job, curse God and die. Wait a minute. Why would a wife grieving with her grieving husband tell him to just die? She needs him to help her go through her grief. So who spoke it? Who planted the thought in her mind? Because she didn't just say die, she said curse God before you do it, then you die. Because Satan knew that if he cursed God and died, where he would end up. But Job said, though he slay me. Yeah, well, I trust him. Now, let me help you with something because we've, you've heard this at funerals, and the next time you hear it, be understood. Don't stand up and, and, and wave your hand and, and, and disrupt the service. Let all things be done decently in order. Um, it is truly stated, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. But that's not the word. Job made that statement, but God wasn't taking anything from him. There are people right now who won't go to church because they're angry at God because somebody stood behind one of these and at their grandmother's funeral and said, the Lord took them. A mother who's had a baby who died unexpectedly, the Lord took him. The Lord didn't take Job, and, and they quote Job saying that. Job didn't, Job thought God was doing it, but God wasn't doing it. It's truly recorded that Job said that, but what Job said was not truth. I'm helping you if you, if you don't get it. Because Job did say that, but Job didn't know, and what he said was not true. So you shouldn't repeat it. The Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name. That is not truth. The Bible says very clearly, God wasn't doing this to Job. Satan was doing it, and God allowed it. But God wasn't doing it. He wasn't taken away. God had given it, but he didn't take it away. Satan took it. So understand, we are called 
witness to the power of God, to the goodness of God, to the transforming grace of God. See, if God has brought you out of something and you were once were, then that is your testimony for somebody who's in. Because he says, after the Holy Ghost comes upon you, you'll be a witness. And you can only witness to what you've been through. You can only witness what you've been a part of. And if God brought you out, you can say, sir, I understand you struggling right now. My brother, my sister, I know, I know you need to let him go, girl, but I, I, I assure you, I had a relationship just like it, and I was locked in. I thought I loved him. I thought I couldn't do it out of him, but I thank God today I'm here without him. I've been without him in 10 years. You can make it. You will overcome. God will bless you. And then you can do this. You can say, girl, let him go. And you can say, honey, come here. After I let him go and I stayed away from him, God brought him. Hey. <laughs> and your husband can stand there smiling and say, yeah. <laughs> so I understand addiction. I understand because this arm was marred with needles. You can pull your sleeve up and say, but thanks be to God. Every time I turn around, God was blessing me and he was helping me. And I've been clean for 20 years now. See, we glamorize what we used to be. Rather glamorizing what God has made us to be. See, we, we spend most of the testimony talking about how much you took and how many times, and, you know, and, and, and could nobody take more than me? That ain't helping nobody. I was the baddest one out there, you know. <laughs> I had two or three of them. That ain't helping nobody. All you need to say is I was a dog. <laughs> had more than one woman on the side. You ain't got to talk about it. You ain't got, you ain't got to name them. Because see, when you, you talk about it too long, you start to envision. You, to, you go back and run down memory lane. And let me tell you, you can't, you can't run down memory lane too, too many times without parking down there. You're going to pull into a spot, you keep running back down memory lane. You're going to pull into a driveway down there. Matter of fact, not a driveway. You're going to go on up in the garage and hide the car because I'm staying. You don't go down memory lane, amen? You only look back to speak about where you're going, amen?